Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming here and, and joining us today. Some of you, like Nathan addressed, are, are guests, and some of you uh, call Prairie Lake Church home. And, and so I just want to reassure you, uh, this is uh, probably the first time and the last time in years you're going to hear me preach. Uh, but but the, the cool part about that, uh, that we really celebrate around here at Prairie Lakes, is this teaching team that we get a chance to share on our, at our online campus and across all seven of our physical campuses across the state. And so we, we really are delighted uh, in the power and strength that they have on, and the chance that we get a, uh, an opportunity to hear from them every weekend and really be unified as one church on many corners in that powerful way. And so uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to interrupt that this weekend because we are, like Nathan said, we're kicking off into immeasurably more. And so uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Most of you are going to be like, I am so glad that we have a teaching team after we land today. So, uh, hey, when, when you see these two items, a lot of us, uh, when we see these, we start to think of things like, I know the person that could take those two items and build a car that can get down a highway. Or we start to think of things like, man, if, if Red Green and MacGyver had a baby, uh, this, these are the two tools that they would use for everything. Like, we just, we get jealous when we see people who can take one or both of these things and do what is unimaginable, whether they're repairing something or creating something, in a way that would take way more parts would probably even take manuals and days, not just hours, for the average folk like you and I to be able to do with those two things. It just blows our mind at how people can do unimaginable things with two items. And yet, and yet, in, in, in those moments when we see those items, we can fail to recognize that, that we have skills, talents, and past experiences that God has, has used uh, to to help us understand that God has not just helped us understand, but helped us do unimaginable things that the people that are around us, when they see our skills, talents, and lessons learned from those past experiences in action, they go, what? Just like we do when we see people interact with those things. And friends, the Bible is full of countless historical accounts of God doing unimaginable things through what seem like people's limited resources and skills. As we read these, these accounts, we, we see time and time again when people use their skills, talents, and past experiences in partnership with their faith and relationship with God, unthinkable things happen. Unthinkable things happen. God does immeasurably more than any of them ever asked or imagined. The story we're going to camp out in today is found in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And it's, it's a story of, of David uh, being anointed as king and, and then coming into his battle with Goliath. And I want to invite you to turn there. We're going to spend a lot of time in this text this morning. You can grab a Bible in the chair in front of you. Or if you prefer to use your electronic device like your phone, go ahead and open version. We're going to be in First uh, and Second or 1 Samuel 16 and 17, primarily 17. Uh, but as, as you're turning there, let's get some context. Uh, at this point in Israel's history, Saul is king. He's actually Israel's first appointed king. And, and so that, that's just like a, a, a big deal. Un- unfortunately, unfortunately, he wasn't a good man, which ultimately means he wasn't a good king. And, and on top of that, he, he, he was full of himself. And that's really what made him uh, a, a bad individual and a bad king. Because he was, wasn't just full of himself, but he was blind to the fact. And in his arrogant disobedience... God built this anger against him and he rejected his kingship. When God rejected Saul, he didn't dethrone him, so he, he, he did uh, reject his kingship, but Saul still acted as king until God's plan moved forward to remove him from his kingship. 
So he didn't dethrone him, but he did initiate a plan to raise Saul's replacement. And that's where we pick up and we find David. But as, as all this is going on, where Saul is removed from, his, his kingship is taken away from God, uh, God instructed his servant Samuel, without Saul knowing it, to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse because God was going to anoint and really appoint one of his, Jesse's sons as king. And out of Jesse's eight sons, uh, God anoints and he appoints the one that was least expected, his youngest, scrawniest shepherd boy, David. Now when God had Samuel anoint David as, as the next king, he, David didn't instantly uh, jump into kingship because Saul was still king. And so there's, there's this thing that's going on. Saul's still king, David's anointed, but there was this pathway that, that God was planning to move David into kingship. And it was a rather interesting journey nonetheless. After Samuel appointed David, he left and business kind of went on as usual. David went back to tending his sheep and, and Saul, Saul's still king. And, and in the meantime, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And so now he's, he's, he's dethroned in God's mind. The Spirit of the Lord leaves him. And God sends an evil spirit to torment, to torment Saul. And in this torment, as the torment is going on, uh, one of Saul's servants says, hey, I've, I've got an idea. What if we find somebody who can play the harp? Or we find somebody who can play the harp and, and when they play, they'll help you feel better. As you're being tormented, uh, we'll commission this individual to, to play their harp and, and you'll feel better. I think that's like Advil's new commercial. <laughs> like, we're, I mean, we're just as good as a harp. I don't know. But isn't that interesting that that was their, that was their thought? Like, hey, you're being tormented. We'll just get somebody to come play the harp. I don't know how that worked. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But in the conversations that were going on, one of Saul's servants shared that he knew this boy, David. Now keep in mind, Saul has no idea that Samuel has anointed David uh, to be the next king. And so when Saul was tormented, David would play the harp. David's now in the king's presence. And as David played, Saul found relief from the evil spirit. So David, uh, David is now in the presence of the king and on his way to the throne, and Saul still has no idea what's going on. So let's just kind of put this into context or or, or, or kind of uh, get the big picture here. David's anointed. He's still tending his father's sheep. Uh, but now he's picked up this gig where he's playing harp for the king. Uh, his mind had to have been full of questions and wonder as he remained faithful to where God has placed him. You know, how, how is this working? But in his faithfulness, he listened and he went where God placed him and he obeyed God's plan for his life. You see, friends, God puts us, God puts us right where we need to be. And when he does, he doesn't depend on us knowing how he's going to work in and through us. Instead, he gives us the opportunity to be obedient. He put, a, he put David right where he needed to be. And he didn't depend on David understanding how he was going to work in and through him. Instead, he gave him the opportunity to be obedient. God understands our readiness for what's ahead and how the path we're on can prepare us for even more. Thankfully, he doesn't wait he doesn't, he doesn't wait to call us before we're ready. He, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, force us anything, but he doesn't wait to call us until we're ready. He calls because he is, and in him we can be too. He always gives us a choice to trust and obey, even when we choose not to. And, and, and when we choose not to, he doesn't stop calling and creating opportunities for us to, to get to the place he knows we need to be. Instead, he remains patiently persistent. He just he stays there and he continues to call. 
During the time, during this time, the Israelites went to war against the Philistines. So, so David's playing harp and helping uh, Saul deal with this torment, and the Philistines uh, started wreaking havoc, and they they called war against the Israelites. The Philistines had this champion fighter named Goliath. He was about eight feet tall. Most commentators said he was about eight feet tall. Some would even say probably taller. So here's this eight foot tall giant, and his armored vest weighed roughly 125 pounds. We know people who weigh that much as humans, as adults, not humans, as, as humans. You know humans, you know adults who weigh that much. To put it even in kind of greater context is when we see uh, our police officers wearing their armored vest jackets, uh, those, are, those weigh roughly 30 pounds. I, th- I think that's heavy. Not counting the weight of his, uh, of his armor and not counting the weight of the rest of the spear, just the, the tip of his spear alone weighed roughly 15 pounds. In total, with a little bit of research, I was able to find that his spear was over 12 feet long and it weighed over 33 pounds. Let's be honest. Uh, some of us go to Menards and we try picking up a 12-foot 2x4 with one hand and we start to whine. So he's, carrying, he's, he's picking up this 12-foot spear, spear with, it probably had a counterweight on the end, but on the front side of the spear has a 15-pound tip. And not only could he pick the thing up, but he could chuck it with accuracy and kill people. It's a big, he's a big dude. And for 40 days, Goliath came out to the battle line and shouted at the Israel army. And in his shout, he would say, send me a man. Send me a man to fight me. And he told the Israelites, if, 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 I, if, if you win, if your man wins, then listen, me and my people will become your subjects. But when I win, when I win, you're going to become ours. While this was going on, Jesse sent David to check on his three older brothers. Remember, he's going back and forth. So he's playing the harp for the king when he's tormented, but he also had his other job. His, his primary responsibility was to tend sheep. And so he's going back and forth, and he's at home as this battle is going on. And Jesse said, hey, I want you to go check on your three older brothers. And they're, they're on the battle lines. So I'm going to give you some food and, and take some stuff to their commander even. And, and when David arrived at the battlefield, he started to ask. I mean, he might have heard stories about what was going on, but now he's there. He's on the battle lines and he sees this giant. He hears his voice. And more than likely, he sees the Israelite men cowering behind on their battle lines and going, you do it. No, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. You, go, you do it. I'm not doing it. So David starts to ask questions about, about Goliath. And he was curious. Hey, is there, what's the reward? If I kill this guy, not really like what's in it for me, but like I, I, I know how this works. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get paid something. What, 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 what's going to happen? What's the reward for killing him? And he starts to ask these questions and, and his older brother overheard him asking the questions and he became furious. And this is where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. So when his oldest brother heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger against them. Why have you come down here? And to whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He, he was already, he's like painting them up, pushing them up against the wall. I mean, few sheep? Like, whether he had multiple sheep, thousands of sheep, hundreds of sheep or not, he's like belittling his role. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David pushes back. Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. He wanted to know. So he asked the men these questions and they answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and so Saul sent for him. Now here's the thing we got to remember. It wasn't like... Uh, Saul is going, hey, who's this kid down here asking these questions? 
It was reported to him, and Saul had a relationship with him already, and so he says, hey, send, I mean, just send him to me. Let's, let's, have, let's have a talk. So it wasn't like two strangers meeting for the first time. So Saul sent for him, and in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I'm just picturing, I mean, the, the, here's this shepherd boy who has been playing a harp to have an evil spirit leave the king. And he just looked at him and says, don't, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to go fight him. The rest of the men that have been here for 40 days listening to this, guys show up for the first day and I say, I'm going to go kill him. I got this. <laughs> like, what was that conversation like? Right? I mean, this, Saul could have thought he was arrogant, just like his brother. But Saul replied, you're not able to go down against this Philistine and fight him. He didn't think he was arrogant. He thought he was unqualified. You're only a young man, and, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Listen, David's brother's reaction and Saul's reminds us that we're likely to face opposition as we prepare to face our giants. He wasn't even on the battle lines with, Saul, with, with, David, with Goliath yet. He was just preparing to go there. And his brother's asking him questions and doubting him and challenging him and telling him he's conceited. Uh, Saul's basically saying, hey, you're just this little tiny you know, kid. What are, what are you going to do in all of this? We'll likely face opposition as we prepare to face our giants. So as you're thinking about your giants even right now in the room and you start to think about as you prepare to go and fight them, what are the voices around you saying? This is true whether we're turning away from sin, aiming for restoration and transformation, or we're walking toward the battle line away from the crowd who's behind us, frozen in fear and doubt. Or, or when the opposition comes, uh, we, rec- we need to recognize it comes in all shapes and sizes. We encounter it from relationships that are close to us. Naysayers who barely know us. And maybe the most difficult, the internal conversation that happens with ourselves. But David had an answer for this opposition. Not only did he have the answer, he acknowledged his readiness to face Goliath. And we see this picking back up in verse 34. So David said to Saul, listen, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. We all need, I mean like when I, when I, I want a friend like that. <laughs> Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul responded and he said, go and the Lord be with you. But as he said that, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. There's some doubt going on. Like, is he ready? Put on a coat of, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and he tried walking around because he wasn't used to him. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. Because I'm not used to him. So he took him off. Then he took his, took his staff in his one hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream. Friends, some commentators say, uh, it, it's just interesting that, that we have in this story the exact number of stones that David grabbed. And some commentators say that uh, the, the reason that we know this number is because David uh, was confident in not just killing Goliath, but Goliath had four brothers. Four plus one is five. So it wasn't this idea that if I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss with the first one, I probably should have some others. It wasn't just an accident, I would dare to say. It was intentional. I'm not just going to slay Goliath. I'm confident that I can take his four brothers out too. He put them in his pouch of a shepherd's bag. 
and with his sling in one hand approached the Philistine, David was ready to face his Goliath because God equipped him like he equips us with skills, talents, and past experiences that prepare us to faithfully, confidently, and competently face our giants. David had everything he needed to have. With with his faith, he had all these skills and talents. It was enough to go against this giant. No matter how big he was, no matter how powerful his armor was, no matter how long his spear was, it didn't matter. David had everything he needed, and he understood that God had equipped him with it. Friends, even when we encounter new giants, or giants in new situations, or we have to use our skills in new ways, we, have to move, we can move forward with bold humility. David's faith in God plus his awareness David's faith in God plus his awareness of what he personally brought to the battle lines. It gave him the ability to see. It gave him the ability to see that the giant standing before him paled in comparison to the fight he was bringing. Goliath wasn't big to him, which made him ready. Let's catch what he said to Goliath, starting in verse 45. So David said this, because Goliath started shouting at him, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Mic drop. <laughs> the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and will strike you down, cut off your head, and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that, God, that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Did you catch that? So It's kind of like, I just have this MMA scene in my mind. I mean, whether, whether you like MMA, think MMA is okay, or that like, the parents should have raised those kids differently. It, that's besides the point, okay? I mean, we've all, whatever. But the day before the fight, there's this thing we call a weigh-in. And these, these two fighters stand toe-to-toe. And as you watch that, whether it's on ESPN or, or it's just a recap on your phone, in my mind, I'm always going, who throws the first punch? Because rarely, if ever, do those weigh-ins just go where they just smile at each other. It usually goes with like somebody spitting on somebody or saying something about somebody's mama or, you know, I mean, a, a punch is thrown and then bodyguards, it kind of turns into WWE, like it's staged a little bit. But David's in that place with Goliath. Like it's, it's like weigh-in day, but it's really fight day for David. And he's toe-to-toe with Goliath and he's telling him everything he's going to do to him. Goliath, I mean, he's just looking at, here's this, you come at me with it. This, you come at me with a stick? It, it really? Like, and he wasn't saying that with audacity. It's like, what good are you going to do in this battle? I mean, you probably weigh about as much as my javelin. Like, seriously, what's, what's going to happen here? But David wasn't just confident when he went to that weigh-in and he said everything he said. When it was time to fight, he didn't cower back waiting to see if is the spear going to come at me first or is, is Goliath going to be the only one that battles me? Instead, we read with the five stones in his pouch and his sling in his hand, he runs to the battle line at Goliath. I mean, that's just, 
It's just amazing. He runs there to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. Friends, commentators say that that's the, 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 the miles per hour, the, the speed of that stone coming out of his sling was 100. 100 miles an hour. I don't know about you, but I can't. I mean, like, put it in feet per second. I mean, that's like, to, to some extent, it's bullet speed fast. It's insane. He was ready. Everything he had, he, everything he needed, he had. The stone sank into glass forehead and he fell face down to the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. Like David's, our faith reminds us that we never, ever have to face our giants alone. Because of God's power, we can always, we can always have victory. David didn't just get to witness God doing something incredible. He got to participate in the process. David's obedience to go where God called him and use what God gave him allowed him to have a front row seat to God's immeasurable power at work in and through him. God can, has, is, and will continue to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in our lives and the lives of the people around us. When we hear this and we see this and, and, and we want more of this, the ultimate question we can ask is like, how? What's, what's the strategy? How do we get there? What do we do? Church, I, want, I, I believe that prayer strengthens. I don't think we're going to find a better strategy. Prayer strengthens. It's through prayer. It strengthens our, our relationship with God. And it prepares us for our next. And it defeats the giants that stand in our way. When we, when we increase our prayer, prayer posture, when we increase our prayer life, and we spend more time in communication with God, we're going to get a chance to experience a stronger relationship with Him. We're going to be prepared. We're going to have what we need to defeat the giant. It helps us draw near to God. Present Him with big asks. Look forward to the future and stand firm even in the midst of our giants. And it allows us to anticipate the outcomes that are beyond our own strength and will. Church, that's why for the next six months we're embarking on this journey of immeasurably more. We're committing to prayer and growing our prayer posture. We're anticipating God has big plans for us as individuals and as a church. We want to become more ready to respond to God's call and celebrate His goodness no matter what. So we're going to commit to praying for the next steps of our campus. We're going to commit to praying for the next steps of our facility. We're going to commit to praying for PLC's next steps as, as we desire as an organization to launch campuses and reach Iowa. We're going to commit to praying for the next steps God is calling each one of us to take. The options ahead for our campus may seem like giants. They really might. Or they might have giants standing in the way. But God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The next steps for us as, individu as individuals might seem like giants or have giants standing in the way. But God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Our current season or position in life may seem inadequate. But God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. When we're struggling to right-size our giant's power, we need to remember their power has nothing to do with its size or how it compares to the giant someone else is facing. Our giant's power has nothing to do with its size or the giant that someone else is facing that, that we can see. Its power comes from our lack of faith 
and the fear that keeps us from fighting it. We can be so good. We can be so good at looking at the giant that we're encountering and thinking, well, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't even compare to what so-and-so is dealing with. I mean, my, my little thing here doesn't compare to their big thing there or vice versa. We can maybe make other people feel that way. Like, come on, get over it. Do you have any idea what I'm battling? But friends, the size, the power of our giants has nothing to do with their size. It, it comes from our lack of faith and the fear that keeps us from fighting them. So when we partner our faith with our skills, talents, and past experiences, we're going to be better positioned to witness God doing immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine when we face our giants on the battlefield. This idea of immeasurably more comes from Ephesians chapter 3, and this is going to be the last text we're in this morning. I want to invite you to turn there. You're also going to see it on the screen. But this isn't just going to be the last text we're in this morning. This is really, ultimately, where immeasurably more, uh, the, the journey we're going to be on for the next six months, is, is rooted. We see it in this letter uh, of Ephesians, and really the text we're going to be in is, is a prayer that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in this letter, he talks about uh, his struggle, and he, t- he talks about being tested, and, and, and he, right before he uh, pens this prayer to them, he kind of sets up, and it's more than likely when he's talking about what he's enduring, uh, he's more than likely uh, writing this letter while he's imprisoned in Rome. And so he kind of gives them that picture, hey, don't, you know, I'm, I'm suffering for your glory. And that kind of is a setup for verse 14 where we're going to pick up. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now catch this. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us. That's the proof. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, when, when we understand this power that's at work in us, we can recognize that God isn't just able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He does do immeasurably more than anything we ask or imagine. His willingness to rescue us from our sin and death is more than just proof of his love for us. It's proof that his love is beyond anything we could ever ask or dare to even imagine. So friends, right now, today, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that some of us are st- standing as, as, we, as we hear this. We recognize ourselves standing over a giant that we have just defeated in the name and strength of Jesus. And some of us are on life's journey we're fully aware that any time we, we could encounter a giant, but we're more than ready. We're more than ready than we ever thought we could be because of God's faithfulness. And some of us today, we're ignoring. We're ignoring God's call. And the giant isn't just in our way. It's winning. And then, friends, some of us are here identifying God's call. We hear. We hear His love for us. We hear him calling us through his love. And we recognize that there is a giant standing in the way. Listen, friends, if if you know Jesus, if you've already stepped across the faith line, no matter when it was on your journey, right now I want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray. We're going to to come into a faith line time. I want to invite you to be praying for the decisions that are going on in this room. Listen, even if you don't know the names of the people who are facing this giant and hearing the call, you know you know and carry the power of Jesus. 
So battle up and get into this fight with them and for them. Friends, if you're hearing God's call today to step over the faith line and receive His gift of eternal life, it's likely you see the giant standing in your way. Your giant might be fear, doubt, lies, anger, uncertainty. Call it out, name it, fill in the blank. You know what it is, it's standing right in front of you. It's paralyzing you or paralyzed you with the power that God wants you to know that He can and has already defeated. Because God's already defeated it, you can have victory today too. God sent His Son Jesus to die for you too. His victory over sin and death, guess what? It's for you too. (laughs) His unconditional love is for you too. His power and gift of conquering giants, friends, it's for you too. You can receive God's immeasurable gift today. I want to invite you, if you want to receive it, would you just pray this prayer in your own words? with me. Jesus, I've been believing things about you and about me that aren't true. I've been trying to face my giants on my own. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I believe in you. I believe you defeated my giants of sin and death and in you I have victory. I commit to living my life in you. Amen. Amen. Listen, friends, if, if you just prayed that prayer, and I know for some of you, even as, as you prayed it, you're like, really, that, that's it? That, that's, that's me saying I'm, I'm in, that I believe in who God says He is and I've confessed my sin and my need for Him? That's enough? Yeah. Yeah, you just made the best decision of your life and, and I want to invite you to take another step so we can celebrate and pray with you and come around you in this decision you just made. And so the next simple thing that you can do is grab the the welcome card that's in the chair in front of you and and start to fill it out and mark faith line. And and, and in just a moment as we get ready to take communion, I'm going to invite you to to take that welcome card with you to the communion table so you can hand it to a volunteer and they can pray over you. And our promise is to walk alongside you and and one of the ways that we're going to do that is to get a resource in your hand. So like I just said, in, in just a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion remembering the death Jesus endured so we could have life. If you just stepped over the faith line, I encourage you to participate and celebrate God's love for you for the first time in this new way. There's volunteers that are back there that are ready to pray with you and celebrate you. I'm going to invite the ushers to make their way down as we prepare for this next moment. They're going to begin to pass out what we're calling rewind cards. As you get one of these in your hands, I'm going to invite you to grab a pen and and start to fill it out. Uh, Because here's, here's what what we want to do is we prepare for communion and look forward to these next six months. We thought it'd be helpful to look back and essentially rewind. So we've created some space on this card for you to identify a year. So in whatever year I prayed for, and you're, gonna, you're just going to put some notes there, but God did. The, the rest of this says, but God did immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. Again, I, I, I might have prayed for a friend in, in a health crisis or a relationship with Jesus. You might have been praying for a fear that was consuming you. You might have been praying for a sin that was consuming you. You might have been praying for a decision or how do I start my family? God, if you're really real, would you show up? How did, what did you pray? And then you're going to remember as you write that out, but God did immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. And in just a moment, we're going to do something with these cards, but I want to invite you to continue to, to fill them out. Because here's what we believe. 
This time of rewinding is going to prepare us for the, what God wants to do is he starts recording this next season of our lives as individuals and as a church. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that in you, no giant, no giant really is a giant. In you, nothing, in, in your love, in your power, nothing we ever face is too big. God, we, we believe, we declare, you have big plans for us as individuals and even bigger plans for us as a church. So God, as we embark on these next six months, we want to continue to, to, to take steps closer to you in this relationship. And God, we believe that that's going to be best had in, in our prayer time, in our prayer life. So God, as we anticipate how you're going to move and work, would you prepare us be ready to witness how you're going to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Amen.